Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Pat Flynn. I'm very excited for my guest today. Some of you may know him quite well. Others, perhaps not at all, but I think we're going to have an, a productive and interesting discussion, to say the least. My guest is Michael Voris. Michael, thank you for taking the time to join me today. Thank you very much, Pat. I appreciate it. And hello to all of your listeners. So you're, you're quite prolific um, in terms of media and social, on, on social media, especially. And I'm sure many people are familiar with you and, and what you do. Um, but let's, let's just make no assumptions. Let's, let's start from ground zero. Um, can you get us up to speed on, on your background, who you are, how you got to be doing all the things that you're doing today, and, and what exactly those things are? Sure. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll do it like TV and I'll work backwards. Uh, <laughs> we produce, uh, we produce uh, yeah, I'm the founder of a Catholic apostolate, a media apostolate. An apostolate just uh, is a Catholic way of saying a ministry. Um, and, uh, the name of that outfit is, uh, St. Michael's media and its online presence is churchmilitant.com mm-hmm. and churchmilitant.com is really dedicated to the, uh, the, the work of the saving of souls, uh, and saving meaning, uh, doing everything we can to help them make right choices, uh, in life, willpower and intellect. Uh, to choose always the good, the objective good, and in so living such a way, dying in such a way, and meriting eternal life and not eternal damnation. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the big 60,000-foot view. Uh, one of the ways that we do that is by providing uh, a very large amount, hundreds and hundreds of hours of uh, uh, theological content video content uh, exploring uh, Catholicism from about every possible angle you could imagine, Uh, philosophical, theological, sacramental, moral, dogmatic, history, apologetics, I mean, every every angle that there is. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And we also focus in on uh, news slash current events, um, headlines and topics that are helping shape the culture. So we, by by necessity, we get into discussions of politics and uh, economics and things like that as insofar as they have, they, they sort of bleed over into the theological or spiritual realm. Uh, Much of our attention these days has been captured by uh, the uh, sort of ongoing scandal in the church, which uh, was, has been brought on by, really a turning away from the faith mm-hmm. uh, by people who have been responsible for actually promoting the faith. That, their primary duty, many of the bishops and priests and clergy of the church, they are ordained to make the world holy. <laughs> That's the word for priest in, uh, in uh, Latin is uh, 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 sacerdote, means sacer sacras, holy. Uh, and many of them, unfortunately, have not been holy and they have not been faithful. And that creates, I think, a roadblock in many people's minds as they sort of come to the, they stumble across the church. They may not be Catholic themselves, for example. And, you know, maybe they have a friend who is Catholic or they go to a Catholic wedding or something and they they have just sort of a brush up against the church. And they might have some degree of curiosity about it for, you know, whatever reason, a good friend or they're at a wedding or whatever, like we said. 
And then all of a sudden they see a headline that says, you know, priest raped altar boys or, you know, church covered up, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That becomes their impression of the church, uh, which it certainly is a correct impression of members in the church, but it is not a correct impression of what the church herself is. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess I would liken it, if any of your listeners are into politics, I guess I would liken it to uh, maybe perhaps an analogy of saying, you can't say that because some members of Congress or the judiciary or the executive branch are crooked and deal dishonestly, that that means the founding documents themselves are dishonest. Correct. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of the large picture. So, yeah, I think an awful lot of this stuff in the church that is going on by individuals in the church, even if it's a lot of individuals that is crooked, evil, malicious, malevolent, and on and on. This stuff needs to be exposed. And we do that as well, because we want to remove the roadblocks out of people's minds. Mm-hmm. Catholics mm-hmm. should, faithful Catholics should not sit back and be quiet about this because at the end of the day, the church's main mission is not to feed the poor, to build, you know, homeless shelters. And it's not that that stuff shouldn't be done. Of course it should be done, but it's not the main mission. The main mission of the church is to sanctify souls so that they may be saved. And all of that horrible stuff going on right now becomes an impediment to that. So it has to be removed. Yeah. So I mean, a million directions I want to take this already. One thing that um, I very much appreciated when um, when somebody passed along a couple of your videos to me and they said, and I think I think we could just be upfront about this. It said, OK, Michael Boris is controversial, but just listen to what he has to say. And I've noticed that um, when it comes to controversial people, there's there's usually kind of two things that, that, that it could be. One is that the person is either saying something insane or they're saying something that's really important. And I think we got a taste of that already with you is uh, getting back to now I'm a Catholic reaver, you know, two years ago, if you would have told me I would have been a Catholic, I would have went to sleep with a petrified diaphragm from how hard I'm laughing. <laughs> but <laughs> so, so like God, God works in funny ways, certainly. Uh, but you're absolutely right. And, and, and your forwardness with what, with what the objection of the church is, um, was, was incredibly refreshing to me as somebody who came into the Catholic church, um, through a sort of. I would like to think a sort of a, a deep searching intellectual and spiritual journey. Um, I was, I was, you know, I came to the church because I thought that the church is true. I mean, what, what else could I possibly do? That was the conclusion that I reached. And then I was surprised at how few people within the Catholic world were talking about the, the actual truths of the church. They, they, they emphasize many good things like the charities and the feeding the poor as a hospital. But what about what the church is really for and and the people who who were talking about these things who had a who had a proper and strong orthodoxy um were sometimes labeled as being offensive or controversial why why is that where did that happen and you know what i probably would have fallen in that camp of saying the same thing myself five years ago is and it sounds like you're trying to do your your best to even kind of combat that aren't you oh sure absolutely i I, look i think the reason this whole thing began is because the church is okay so let's go into a little bit of theology here now people can you know have a discussion about the theology and i'm always happy to have that discussion you know not necessarily catholic versus protestant but catholic versus everything 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, Christianity versus Islam or, you know, within Christianity, Catholicism versus any of the denominations, whatever. I'm happy to have all of those discussions, but for the purposes of your viewership here, I'm sorry, your listenership, let's just, let's begin with the assumption that the the Catholic church is, is the, is the church established personally by the son of God, the eternal logos, the second person, the blessed Trinity outside of that church, there is no salvation. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that becomes my starting point. That becomes the starting point of the church herself, starting and ending point, the church herself, given that, construct and whether somebody agrees with it or not step into it here for the purposes of this discussion yeah just imagine that it's true just for this sure. imagine it's true if you, if you don't believe it's true imagine that it is if you do believe it true you're already here so mm-hmm. if that is it then there is as our blessed lord says in scripture there is a duty to pick up your cross that the way to salvation is narrow and the way to damnation is broad and many there are who travel it. And I mean, these are all words from Scripture. This is Michael Forrest saying this stuff. Uh, I'm just repeating this stuff. I mean, if I was alive, dead, never been born, never come into existence, this stuff would still be the case. So the fact that I'm saying it is just, you know, almost happenstance historically. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you look at all of this, you say, well, this is the mission of the church. Well, if people want to subvert that mission, the supernatural calling of, of the good, uh, well, there is an inside each person because the, the person, although every one of us has a fallen nature and is inclined towards sin and doing wrong and then being jealous and lustful and angry and all that stuff that goes along with being a fallen human, mm-hmm. there is also at war with those bad tendencies the good tendencies of us to, you know, want to be kind and, you know, charitable and all these sorts of things, at least, at least when it doesn't upset our apple cart, we're willing to do that. Mm. So there is a, there is a natural inclination towards good as well. So there's this war, this combat within each person. And if you want to subvert the supernatural good, uh, that the church is involved in. Well, you can't just eradicate doing all good because there's still a thirst in people for wanting to do good. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you invert the goods, you invert the natural goods of wanting to help the poor and make hospitals and orphanages and feed the poor and all this sort of stuff, which are all natural goods. An atheist can participate in those natural goods and probably many do. Mm-hmm. And they should be lauded for it. But you don't take natural goods and invert the order of good and subvert the natural goods, uh, I'm sorry, the supernatural goods, which are loving God, increasing in holiness, uh, you know, doing those good things for the love of God. Those are the supernatural goods. Now, in the shopping cart of those supernatural goods are many, many things. One of them is when we deal with the area of sexual morality. So you cannot do and perform those supernatural goods while you are at the same time, which is essentially growing in holiness. I mean, there's various examples of it, you know, you know, going to mass every Sunday, part praying every day, uh, all of the stuff that goes along with the supernatural good of increasing your own sanctity by virtue of cooperating with grace. 
you can't be doing those things while at the same time you are cheating on your spouse or you know actively engaged in the hookup culture or engaged in porn or you drink or you're druggy all the time mm-hmm. that those are at war with each other so if you want to engage in those sorts of behaviors well, you can't be also engaging in going to mass and you know praying your rosary every day and things like that. So when you throw one set out, you sort of throw the whole thing out. Mm-hmm. Well, now you're left with this vacuum of, well, here's a person doing no good. They're not doing any good at all. Mm-hmm. Ah, so we take the natural goods and we elevate them mm-hmm. and we put them in the primary position. So I don't smoke and I don't you know, wear fur and I'm kind to animals, and I watch out for the environment, and I, you know, uh, I'm engaged in social justice warrior activity. Mm-hmm. Well, that none of that gets you to heaven. None of that gets you to heaven. But that's the very point. So you've got essentially what is the first commandment and the second commandment. The first commandment is love God, mm-hmm. and the second commandment is like it, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, and you're changing the order of them. And that's what has happened with much of the leadership in the church these days. Priests, bishops, cardinals, they do not want to preach those difficult supernatural truths and ways of living because they are extremely controversial and they are, you know, what the church has always called the hard teachings. Mm -hmm. Those are the pick up your cross teachings and struggle through life with. The other teachings are not as difficult, and quite frankly, sometimes they're actually fun. It's fun to go down maybe to the soup kitchen on Thanksgiving and help dole out, you know, soup and, you know, turkey and mashed potatoes and whatever to some, you know, to the the poor people of the neighborhood or, you know, to gather tot, you know, toys for tots. And it's, you know, and and it's all good. There's nothing immoral, evil, rotten or anything about anything else about it. But, But the importance placed on that over God is where it becomes a problem. You're elevating the natural above the supernatural. And because of that, you're inverting the entire process. And that is what the big danger is and what so many people in the church do these days. Because frankly, no bishop wants to stand up in a pulpit uh, or few bishops want to stand up in a pulpit. And many priests don't want to stand up in a pulpit and say, stop practicing contraception, stop aborting children, stop cheating on your spouses, stop the hookup culture, turn off your pornography, stop drinking, stop. They don't want to do all that. Yeah, because you know most of the people out there are engaged in that activity, and they're going to get lambasted for it. So they're cowards. Well, so yeah, I will certainly just offer my my personal testimony here because I'm sure there's a number of people who are listening to this. The hairs are raising a little bit, and <laughs> good, yeah, and, and good because that's that's what happened to me, especially as I. And I'm glad we start off with the thought experiment. So no matter whether you think it's true or not, I think we can all agree that it's reasonable that if it's true everything you're saying is is correct. And then we can come back to the question of, of if. But if it's true, and, and this really is the, the mission and the order of the church, it really is the church founded by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then, then, then we have to be talking about these things. We can't not talk. It would be immoral not to talk about them. And there's, there's often a joke. Um, I, I forget who does it. It's, it's some comedian who, you know, who says that 
even though he himself is not a Christian, and maybe you've heard this one before, um, can sympathize with a Christian who will do anything they can to convert somebody. Because it's like if you saw your friend standing in the middle of the road and a bus is coming at them, you hopefully would do anything you could to get them out of the way of the bus. Now, the question is, is a bus actually coming at them? Is that true? We can get there, definitely. But I just want people to see the perspective, to kind of step inside for a minute, and as uncomfortable as it is to just to kind of, because so many people are not inside, they're not seeing it this way. So how, what do you recommend like that? Because, and this was me, you know, four or five years ago, like if you said anything about contraception or, or, or chastity, and now I've had to adjust so many things about my life. And I will now look back and tell you that all those things were for the better. I am, I am a better, happier person having done those things uh, since converting to Catholicism. But I would not have believed it five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. I would, I would have laughed at it. Sure. How do you, how do you, how do you approach this now? Because you made what the, the position is clear, and I hope people understand it. Do, you then, do we then have to go and say, okay, here's what would be the case if it's true. Now, here's why, here's why it is, or what are we missing here in the dialogue? No, I think that's true. I think, I think that is the next, the next uh, step is, okay, well, those are some pretty outlandish claims, Boris. <laughs> so you say, you know, wow, really? So, you know, gay marriage is immoral? and sinful, uh, practicing contraception, uh, you know, is, is immoral and sinful and all. And I, and you sort of take the, you know, the, the whole grocery cart of the church's teachings on sexual morality, but you can't look at those just, uh, sort of in a vacuum. You have to look, cause then it just looks like a big list of no's, mm-hmm. no sex, no this, no that, no contraception, no fun. that's what it looks like. And, uh, but you have to take a look at that and not think of it as there. That's what's in the grocery cart. You have to think of it in terms of, Oh, that's one bag of groceries in that big shopping cart. Well, what's in the other bags because they're all related to each other. Mm -hmm. So now you have to sort of step a lot, you know, step up and you maybe 10 or 15,000 feet higher and say, well, why are those teachings what they are? Because certainly the church doesn't just teach, you know, no sexual fun. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not the only thing the church is, although lots of people, I think, probably think that. Um, certainly, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to say, so, you know, what is that in relationship to? And now you enter into much larger questions, questions of the nature of man, uh, the um, you know, what I guess what the church would refer to philosophically as a Christian anthropology, mm-hmm. uh, a um, natural law. Uh, you know, the church didn't invent, hasn't invented natural law. The church merely recognizes it like, uh, uh, like scientists didn't invent the law of mathematics. They have discovered it Correct. and they simply announce it. I never sat in a math class in high school or my years at Notre Dame where the professor said, hey, look what I invented. And then he showed us addition. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He just showed us that the world operates, the, 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 the mechanism underlying the universe uh, uh, operates on a mathematical scale mm-hmm. of uh, 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 so, you know, empirical objective truths. And that the same way that operates in the, in the material world, there is that same underlying principle of objective truth that underlies the spiritual world also. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I don't think some people really stop and think in terms of, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, who are we? If you, let's go to this question of, you know, like a Christian anthropology. Okay, long before, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jesus walked the face of the earth 2,000 years ago, long before that, the Jew, the Jews, the Greeks had already discovered uh, that there was a humans possessed a soul, what they called an anima, mm-hmm. uh, where we get animation from, and uh, and had properly uh, uh, understood that well, that soul must be immortal; it must live forever. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, well, then what is the then what's the point of that? And and how is that the case? The soul didn't always exist. It sort of, it, it came into being at one point. Well, how was it brought into being? It couldn't bring itself into being. So you, when you start asking the questions of a sort of a Christian anthropology, which is really what is the nature of man, not just materially, uh, but uh, uh, spiritually as well, and the combination of matter and immatter, the immaterial with the material, what is the nature of man? opens up these larger questions, which become metaphysical questions. And when you sort of scale up to the big 50, 60, 100,000 foot view of man and his destiny and, you know, who, and then you begin to boil that down to me and you ask that big, huge, giant question that everybody on earth who has the ability to reason one day stands on that hill staring up into the Milky Way on a starry summer night and says, who am I? Mm. What is the meaning of life? The very fact that a person can ask that question means that there is a meaning to their life and who they are is a person created in time to discover that meaning and to achieve it. The rest of it is really, okay, so how do I do that? And that's really <laughs> kind of what life is. And I, that was beautifully stated, by the way. So, you know, in my own process, I kind of went through a very procedural um, uh, re, reversion story. I always say, I, I, I tend to say, you know, convert, but I'm really a revert. I was baptized, but very nominally, didn't have a religious upbringing or anything like that. So for many years, I would have considered myself an atheist. Then I got heavily into natural theology, studied the arguments for, for God's Zeus, became convinced, got to the God of the philosophers, um, still had a huge animus towards towards Christianity. Um, eventually, you know, I got to the Jesus question, considered the historical evidence there, um, like many, went into it hoping that I could disprove it, came out a convert, at least to a mere Christianity. I was leaning heavily Protestant because, of course, you know, spending so many years as an anti-religious person, there's nothing worse than the Catholic Church, right? And, and, <laughs> That's very true. I, like, and it's amazing. The last like, thing you can have is the Catholic Church be right. <laughs> that, Michael, it's exactly that. Like, that was, the, that was exactly my feelings. And it's amazing because it was Aquinas who was so influential for me on a philosophical viewpoint. But I was somehow, in my bias, able to just appreciate his philosophy, but push away his Catholicism for, for, for a very long time. Sure. Um, and then, you know, I was, uh, I was, I guess, you know, disappointed or dissatisfied with the experiences or inconsistencies in, in Protestantism running into trouble with Sola Scriptura. And it was a Protestant who first, you know, told me, I, I said, well, what's your kind of your doctrine at this church? What are your core beliefs? She said, oh, we just want to believe what the earliest Christians believe. That set me off. I go, I make that a big study. And then, you know, eventually I'm getting, you know, confirmed uh, at the, at the Easter vigil. So, <laughs> 
I mean, that's that's my story. And, and so kind the of, last place, kind of the, run, it's kind of the run of things. But so I guess the reason I bring this up is not just to to, to catch you up on 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 my story, but every one of those points is something that needs to be addressed. There's the atheist position. There's the spiritual but not religious position. Then there's the mere Christianity position or the Protestant position. I mean, all of those could 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 merit many full conversations. I mean, it took me years to get through all of this stuff. So we just laid out what the Catholic position is there. But to me, you know, somebody's going to be blocked at any one of those stages along the way. Sure. Um, but I guess the the most common one that that I get from from listeners of this show is not the atheist or the spiritual one, but the Protestant and Catholic one. Sure. And that, of course, was the last step that that I made. Now, if you want to go back and cover any other ones, let's do it because this is you know you're the you're you're the you're the one actually running the show today. Or, <laughs> or 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 if you want to just focus in on essentially why be Catholic over any other Christian denomination, you tell me how how should we proceed? I, well, I guess one of the things that we have to look at here, and this would apply to anybody in in those various steps you just laid out in your own uh, in your own journey there, but anybody who's at any point along the spectrum, you know, there's, a, there's a, a very telling line in the scriptures in Luke's gospel when the angels are, uh, uh, when the angel uh, Gabriel is, is who, you know, the fathers said was the angel hovering over Bethlehem, over the shepherds who was talking to them and telling them, you know, I, you know bring you news of, you know, glad tidings, which will be for all the people. Then when the chorus of angels multitude of the heavenly host, as Luke tells us, uh, burst out into song. They say, glory to God in the highest. And here's a very key line. And peace on earth to men of good will. Mm-hmm. It's not peace on earth to everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's peace to men on earth who have good will. And what is good will? Good will is the person who has a willingness to hear the truth and conform their lives to it, whatever, wherever they are, maybe they are in a position of being opposed to the truth. And, you know, they, they've actively made choices in their life of a different, whatever it is, religious, philosophical, atheistic, whatever system. Mm-hmm. And now they have to say, Oh, put a big X through whatever that is. I was wrong. Now I have to switch over to this. Well, that's a person of goodwill hmm. because what are you ultimately married to? You're ultimately married to truth. That's what you care about. Wherever the truth leads us, let's go down that path. And, and that's just a person just, of goodwill. And yeah, and just to pause, you know, that was, that was something that I remember very specifically, kind of like going right into college and just saying, I don't care what the truth is. I just need to know it. I don't care how uncomfortable, um, how, no matter where it is. Now, now that said, I wasn't totally consistent because the closer it got me to Catholicism, the kind of more worried I got, right? <laughs> I, I understand. Yeah, I mean, look, look if you're going to be a good, solid, sound, faithful Catholic, with rare exception, I mean, look, there are some people who are, you know, who have the great fortune, uh, blessing of being able to, you know, be born into a very solid Catholic family. They have good Catholic parents, you know, who raise them and their siblings. And and there's never any of the kind of drama of, you know, the great philosophical drama of life with some of those people. That said, that is not the vast majority of people, even Catholics. Mm-hmm. It's just not the way life seems to run these days for many people, for most people. So for people who don't, this is, you know, Catholicism probably, I would think, represents 
authentic Catholicism, not the way it's presented by some crazies in the church, but uh, <laughs> some, uh, and by crazy, I mean, not honest, mm-hmm. not presenting Catholicism in its honest, uh, uh, honest presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're presenting kind of a watered down version or a feel good version or like, you know, go read a book and a self-help version or whatever. And, you know, Catholicism is meant to turn you inside out mm-hmm. and uh, expose to yourself, expose all of your weaknesses, your, your everything, because in the process of that being sort of held to the fire, you are purified. That's the whole point. So in the spiritual realm, that would be eradicating sin from your life. Mm-hmm. And you look, let's face it, we love sin. That's why we do it. And it's very hard. You know, that's what's attractive about it. I mean, you go to Genesis and there's that, there's that very telling line in, uh, uh, you know, where the serpent is you know, slithering around talking to Eve. And he says, hey, look at that. Look at that fruit over there. And the author of Genesis takes a step outside of the narrative for a moment and says, makes kind of like a note to us and says, and she looked at the fruit, and it was pleasing to the eye. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the very thing that was going to bring about their, you know, their condemnation. They were going to fall from original grace. Mm-hmm. And the very instrument by which that was going to happen looked pleasing and enticing and tempting. So there is a something in us that is attracted to sin. And we have to begin with that admission. I mean, you know, and look, again, an atheist could know this in his or her own life. They, uh, you know, if they're, I don't know, sitting in class and a friend of theirs gets a, you know, they're in school and a friend of you, know, you get your test back and your friend has a hundred and you flunked it. Do you not have that little inside you somewhere flare of jealousy? Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, well, the only reason they got a hundred is because they're smarter than I, I mean, whatever. And you start all that stuff in you. Well, that's the effect of sin. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't celebrate in joy with your friend who got a hundred and, you know, and just be, oh, well, I guess I'll just work harder next time. That's just not, I mean, that may end up being the way it ends up, but that's not what our initial reaction is. Correct. You know, why are we jealous of someone else's success at anything? Why is it that when something goes wrong, we our first instinct, and see, this is it. It's our instinct. It's on an instinctual level. The first thing we want to do is blame somebody else. Yeah. It's not my responsibility. I'll take all the all the credit when something's great, and I'll cast off all the blame when it's when something doesn't go great. All of this stuff is an indication that there's something deeply entrenched and wrong in uh, on, on in a certain dynamic when it comes to human nature, and that is what St. Paul says when he says you must cast off the old man and put on the new. So if the model of manhood or humanity is Jesus Christ, who was a perfect, the perfect man, Mm -hmm. and our call, as he commanded us, is be ye perfect, well, then through the sort of the transitive property of mathematics, that means we have to become like Jesus which is holy. So how do we do that? By getting rid of the unholy, which is sin. Okay, that is a very tough thing to do. 
it's so tough that when Jesus spoke like this, the apostles practically despaired and went nuts. Mm-hmm. And St. Peter said, you know, kind of, you could almost hear him in the gospels and like this voice exacerbation saying, well, who can be saved? And Jesus answers flat out. He goes, uh, with man, it is impossible. So our ability to save ourselves is a myth. We don't have the ability to save ourselves any more than a broken vase has the ability to somehow put itself back together. And that's a, and that's a common myth lobbed at Catholics, right? Is it yeah. a misinterpretation of good works? You know, you think Absolutely. The good, the, good works, mm-hmm. the, the good works are uh, A, an expression of now, now presuming that the good works are done with the good intention as well. I mean, you can, you know, people can do the right thing for the wrong reason, at which point they merit nothing for it uh, spiritually. But if you are doing the good thing, good work for the right reason, the right intention, uh, then you do merit that. That is a movement towards holiness and you increase in holiness. You're not meriting the grace to be able to do that good work, but you are meriting from cooperating with the grace and doing the work. If there's a homeless guy, I hate using this example because, you know, lots of people know that many of these homeless guys are, you know, kind of con artists or whatever, but just for the sake of a simple example, if there's a homeless guy standing there on the corner and you're, you know, whatever, driving by and you're in a red light, you have, I don't know, $10 sitting in your ashtray or whatever in your car and you glance over and you see him, okay, there's a moment of grace. It, the opportunity has arrived at your doorstep. You didn't look for it. It just, you stopped at the red light and there he is. You have the moment of grace now to make the choice to roll down your window and hand the guy $10 or not. And if you do, you have done something praiseworthy, laudatory, mm-hmm. or as we would say in the military, meritorious. Mm-hmm. You have done something worthy of merit, and you get acknowledged for it. Uh, it, it you know, on an earthly level, they give, they you know, stick one of the ribbons on your chest on your, you know, your military, uh, you know, formals. Uh, but uh, on the earthly, I'm sorry, on the supernatural level, you merit in that. You increase in holiness. And again, I'm using that as an example. I'm not saying that that's a thing. That's the thing. That, yeah, <laughs> lots of people have that question in the back of their mind. Am I just giving this guy ten bucks? He's going to go out and get drunk, or that's not the issue. But sure, or if you're just giving ten bucks to buy yourself a good night's sleep by clearing your conscience, that's kind of <laughs> as well. Yeah, right? exactly. So you know, so what? So what is Catholicism ultimately? Catholicism is the Catholicism is a religion for the most brutally honest uh, among us mm-hmm. that we have no chance of salvation on our own that as we just sit here as a creature we are unworthy of salvation and must admit that i cannot do this on my own but recognize what my creator's design is for me and i reach out and say save me, which is why we have a savior. Mm. And there's the beautiful line in the Psalms, reach down from heaven and save me, draw me out from the mighty waters. That through our intellect, through our intellectual capability, 
God has given us the natural ability, just on a natural level, to look up into the heavens and realize that there is something beyond me on every level, the natural and the supernatural, and that I am imperfect, and yet I have a desire for perfection. So the desire for that perfection that resides within me must have been placed in me from outside me. Mm-hmm. So I call on the being that put it there and said, reach down and save me. Mm-hmm. So my intellect is spurred by the natural universe that the, that the supernatural God has created. And now looking at all of this, I respond in a supernatural way and presto, I'm on the road. And now step after step, day after day, you know, two steps forward, one step back, one (laughs) step forward, 74 steps back. I mean, what, you know, you just keep sort of plodding along and plodding along with the help of a God who has established a church in order to keep you day by day, tearing off the old man and putting on the new. And heck, any honest Catholic will admit not every day do you tear off the old man and put on the new. Sometimes you kind of crawl right back into the old man's suit and feel comfortable in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. I'll attest to that. <laughs> so what, I want to press this a bit because, well, I'm glad we brought that up. You know, it's always good to just clear up some points that, that don't need to be a point of contention because they're really just a point of misunderstanding. And I think what you just described is something that many Protestants will certainly agree with that, uh, with that you know, description that you just, just gave, that we cannot so. do it alone. But... But 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 because if I'm going to press it with anybody, I want to press it with you. Uh, that's we, we still got to get to the question. Okay, we agree with that, but still, why be Catholic, right? <laughs> well, the ulti- the ultimate answer to that question is okay. Given all of that, that you can't do it alone, that you need the help and the assistance of Almighty God on every level to the fullest extent of that level that you can have. I don't want a tutor to come help me pass algebra class or calculus class just 50%. I want him there assisting me 100%. Mm. So we are, we human beings are this weird and wonderful amalgam of body and soul, the material and the immaterial. And if we stop for a second and we think, I have a God who created me, body and soul, then, and he wants me saved. I don't, I'm not just me inside some skin and flesh that's going to rot away and it doesn't exist anymore. I mean, the, the God who created me, you know, was in flesh that was killed, but walked out on Easter Sunday of that tomb with that same flesh on him, raised to its supernatural glory, but it was the same flesh that was on that cross. Mm -hmm. So if that's how he presents himself as conqueror of death, well, then that's how he wants me also, because he's my model. So that means I have to be saved also in the body, not just the soul. Mm -hmm. It's not like the body just kind of comes along for the ride. Uh, You know, I have to be saved in the body. And why is all of this happening? Well, this is all happening. This is sort of the nature of the supernatural flow of events because God has ordained it this way. He has ordained it this way because he so loves me that he wants every single bit of me saved. Every bit of me, everything, my toenails, everything. (laughs) As he says, you know, in in the one expression there, the love of God, you know, that he knows every hair on your head. 
There is nothing that escapes the view, you know, I, anybody who's listening, who's not Catholic, who's a parent, uh, you know, who has a child, I would just ask, you know, is there any aspect of your child that you do not love? And I don't mean when they're being, you know, uproarious and rebellious. So that's a, that's a behavior. Yeah, I was just thinking of my kids' toenails when you brought that up and how right you are. <laughs> I mean, there's everything, you know, you'll sit there and when they're, when they're innocent little babies, you know, you're sitting there and you're looking at them and you're bathing them and, you know, you're rubbing your hand over their forehead and you're, you know, r- around the rim of their ear. You've that loving, just incredible detail of, of every last thing thing there's not a cell on them that you aren't concerned about and i mean if we love like that as god says you know you who are imperfect how much more does your heavenly father love you who is perfect Mm -hmm. so he wants to be united to us because this is what heaven is and i think this is part of the point of maybe where catholics and protestants kind of diverge on this point that i think i think protestants have more of a view of heaven as sort of being in a place where jesus is and you're kind of hanging out and all that sort of stuff. And it's not that that's not true. It's just not complete. You, when you are saved, you are in the Trinity. You are beholding the beatific, Latin for blessed. You are beholding the blessed vision of the Trinity. As St. Paul says, you know, the, the, all the, the veil will drop and we see him in the face as he is. So, you know, you are not just sort of looking like sitting in a movie theater and we're all together looking at stuff and talking about everything that happened here on earth and there's a movie playing and it's God up on the screen. No, you are in that movie. You are God. You participate in the divine. Uh, As, you know, some of the saints of the church have said, you know, when we die, we will be little Christs, Mm -hmm. very little Christs, but very little Christ's, we will participate in the divine life, not just watch it, but we will be, we will participate in it. So that is the fulfillment of the promise. That is, that is the realization of all of it. As Psalm 16 says, O Lord, it is you, you yourself, who are my portion and my cup. We don't get salvation to be you know, looking at God, we get salvation as in we are with God, with him, bound up in him. Okay, that's the goal. The process to get to that goal would naturally, therefore, begin here on earth. And since we are imperfectly, because everything on earth is imperfect, but if our goal, if if the goal that God has laid out for us is to be with him perfectly, bound up with him, body and soul, then here on earth, we would have to be bound up with him as much as we can on the way, body and soul. So Christ has left himself here behind in the body for us to be able to consume him, body and soul, so that our bodies may be being prepared, even while they're still here on earth, even while they're still subject to sin and temptation and fallen nature and everything else, they're being slowly prepared by being able to receive the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. That's the point of the Eucharist, that, you know, how does it, if you go to uh, the sixth chapter of St. John, 
there's a very interesting tie-in here that our Lord himself makes. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. He who eats my body and drinks my blood abides in me and, he continues the thought, I will raise him up on the last day. And that's the whole point, that reception of the Blessed Sacrament of, of of, of Holy Communion, of the Eucharist, is a preparation for. It's a foretaste, certainly, but it's also a preparing of our physical flesh to be brought out of the grave on the last day and glorified and raised into the very life of the Holy Trinity. And that's the real difference between Protestantism in all of its 30, 40,000 different variations and Catholicism, that the Catholic Church has the real presence, real presence meaning the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. When he said to the apostles, I will not leave you orphans, I will come back to you. That was not a, a a promise to you know you know twelve men sitting in a room so that when they died the promise came to an end, you know mm-hmm. it was it, you know, it was a promise to all of us. I will not leave you orphans. You know I will not leave you alone with no loving God to be there to guide you and hold you and be with you throughout all the horrible tortures and you know, the vicissitudes of life and all of that. I will not leave you orphan. I will be right there with you. And he is. And he's there to adore when we're not actually at mass receiving in the Holy Communion. You can always go into a church and kneel in front of the tabernacle. And there's Jesus right there. Mm-hmm. He's right there. The same way he walked around on earth in his sacramental presentation right now. Uh, and of course, when you're at mass and you're able to receive, uh, Holy Communion, you are receiving his body into your body. And if you think about that for a moment, okay, so let's go back to that, that, that idea of a thought experiment again. For the moment, let's just say, uh, for those who might not believe it or who haven't really heard this before, let's just say that uh, the, the, what looks like bread is actually, for the purposes of the discussion, is actually the body and blood of Jesus, that it is Jesus Christ himself living as he is right now at the, at the right hand of God in heaven, present under the appearance of bread and wine. Okay, let's say that's him. That means that when we consume him, we are actually uniting the divine DNA of that flesh, that human flesh that he took from Mary that it, it has cells in it, it has DNA in it, mitochondria, you know, uh, the you know, protoplasm, it has all of that stuff. And we are taking that and we are uniting that to our flesh. So it's his body and blood uniting to our body and blood. And his soul and his divinity is uniting to our soul increasing us in divinity. What does that mean, increasing us? It means growing in holiness and coming closer to him so that when we die, we are, it's, it's, really, it's not this big sudden like, oh my gosh, I'm on earth and now I'm a completely different. No, you've just transitioned. This is something you've been preparing for your whole life. You know, every day, you know, okay, someday, again, some days not so good, some, some days actually reverse days, but you know, the thrust of your life has been preparing for this moment. So when you die, you merely just sort of transition into the next life. 
Mm. It's not this sudden change of like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything about this. This has never happened before. What is this? Where am I? Who am I? What is this? Who are you? I mean, that would be horribly frightening. Yes, it would be. Uh, it would be horrible, frightening. I mean, to step into the presence of the divine with absolutely no knowledge or experience of it. I mean, it would be, you know, I mean, my gosh, Moses about had a heart attack and dropped dead. And he didn't even look at God in the face. He just looked at him in the burning bush. So, you know, you have this, but, and, and, but that's from our perspective, mm-hmm. from God's perspective, you know, he is the perfect lover. I don't mean sexual lover. I mean, he is the perfect lover. Everything he can give. That's the definition of love. Giving everything you can for the sake of the other. He did that obviously, you know, once for all on Golgotha, but he continues to be able to do that individually throughout time uh, and space for every one of us. So he gives himself to us as the perfect lover. There is no aspect of us, nothing that he does not want to completely and fully embrace even down to our DNA. Not a hair on your head is not known by your heavenly father. Mm-hmm. So this is the way God loves us completely and fully. And that you know puts responsibility on us to want to live back and love back that way. We're never going to be able to love God like he loves us. But, but we are able, not in the, not on the same level, but we can do it on the same proportion. God loves us completely, and we can love God completely. Those are two 100%. One is a much smaller 100% than the other. One is yes. infinite. The other is finite. But it can still be our 100%. Everything I've got, I can love God with. Uh, and I mean, this is the whole point of Catholic theology and the Catholic faith. This is it. I mean, there isn't anything else. It's not that, uh, you know, it's not that we, whatever, talk about sexual morality more or less, or, you know, I mean, all of those things are part of this, but the central heart of it is, is Christ present in that Eucharist or is he not? Yes. And, 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 and I'm so glad you pushed that angle because there's often so many I would say unnecessary holdups that people have to Catholicism. And in fact, I was stuck at many of those myself. You know, what about the statue things or Mary or so on and so forth? But ultimately, you get to that hinge point of the Eucharist. Um, mm-hmm. Either Jesus really, either God really does work through stuff, right? Which is, which is the question. Either Jesus really left us with a hierarchical, visible, unified church, and either he is really and truly present in, in the Eucharist or he's not. Now, if he is, and that's true, then you need to be Catholic. If not, then the church is probably the worst thing in the world. I'll, I'll agree. Like, if, if what Protestants say is true, then it's a terrible thing, right? Like, I can, we can reverse the thought experiment, sure. Um, but I, what convinced me, of course, is that, you know, it is true. And not only did I always see uh, the scriptural data for it, but then the, the really big turning point for me, Michael, was just going back and looking again at that question, what did the earliest Christians believe? And it was right there, not the Eucharist, but the Mass, and the, and the, the sacrificial language was sure. extremely compelling to me as well. And then, oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. I mean, for St. Paul to say, if you receive the Eucharist unworthily, you are guilty of the murder of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's St. Paul talking. That's pretty, you know, severe language. You're guilty of the murder 
I mean, not just, you know, having used inappropriate language or maybe not thought about, you know, your actions before you did it, or, I mean, guilty of the murder of the Lord. That's, 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 he wasn't too concerned about being offensive. was he? (laughs) (laughs) No, he wasn't at all. Good for him. (laughs) Could you you imagine? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, Well, I I, Paul walking around in 2018. Oh my gosh. Oh, well, I mean, look, I mean, people were clearly offended by what he said even back then. Right. Yeah, they were. I mean, let's be clear that the reason the earthly reason that, uh, that our blessed Lord was crucified was because he offended people. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. He offended the Jews, and so they took the Jewish leadership. So they took, a, you know, they took him to Pilate to complain that he was offensive to their Jewish law. And Pilate said, "I don't care about your Jewish law, and that has nothing to do with me." And so they went back and they conspired quietly, and then they came forward and said, "Well, he's offensive to your Roman law because he claims to be a king. We, you know, he, you know, he's offensive to our law because he claims some sort of divinity." And yeah. Pilate's like, I don't care about your Jewish law. I don't care if you're offended by that. They go, well, you'll care about this. Mm-hmm. He offended your Roman law. He said that he's, you know, he's a king. Mm-hmm. You can't have a king when there's also Caesar. And then that's what they, you know, so, you know, their their excuse for taking him to Pilate was because he offended their Jewish law. And Pilate's excuse for, you know, pronouncing the death sentence on him was that he offended Roman law. And mm-hmm. that's it. I mean, you know, Christianity, Catholicism, is offensive to the natural mind that has not embraced goodwill. That is not of goodwill. It's offensive, and it always will be. And that's why it gets. That's why there's so many martyrs in the church. And oh well, those martyrs are now happy with happy with the you know the the source <laughs> of their martyrdom in heaven, the divine source of their martyrdom in heaven. So mm-hmm. good for them. They don't care that they were martyred. Now they probably cared then, sort of maybe on some level, kinda. Uh, but, you know, if when martyrdom ever comes for somebody, for the faithful son of the Heavenly Father, whatever grace and strength is needed to overcome that fear, he'll provide for you. You know, you don't sit around praying for a grace that you don't need. I'm not ever sitting around praying for a grace to be a good mother. Mm-hmm. So I'm never going to be a mother. So why would I ever pray for that grace? Is there a grace to be a good mother? Of course there is, but it doesn't apply to me. Likewise, there's no reason for me to be sitting around right now praying for the grace to undergo this martyrdom at the hands of whatever, some state or terrorist or whatever, because it's not happening to me right now. But you can bet your sweet dollar that if it does happen to me, I absolutely will be praying for it at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't. I joke around here with the guys at the studio all the time. I don't really care about, you know, I don't really care about the notion of martyrdom itself for me because everybody's got to die. Mm-hmm. I just care about the how. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's uh, that's worth thinking about. Yeah, somebody wants to just put, you know, just, you know, whatever, come up behind me and just blow my brains out because they hate me or whatever. That's fine with me. I I just don't want to be dragged off to some prison cell somewhere and have my fingers broken and my kneecaps ripped off and my eyes gouged out. You know, that's the the part that's troublesome. And and reasonably so. And reasonably so. So, so Michael, let's let's do this because, I mean, um, and before we tell people where they can go and engage and with all of your content and all of your resources. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who just heard this conversation from, from all over the spectrum 
we talked about it. Look, it's everything is offensive these days. That's the nature of it. So it's like, even if you are a religious pluralist, you're still offensive to all the particularists who think that their religion is true, even though you think you're not being offensive. So it's not about being offensive or not being offensive. It's, it's only about, are you going to be offensive about the right things? Now, when it comes to having goodwill and, and you're being an honest seeker, and, and I know so many people who listen to the show are, even if they aren't Catholic, uh, they listen to this show because they enjoy the conversation, they enjoy the dialogue, they get something out of it. So, you know, understanding that there's a very wide range of, of listeners here. Okay, they, they hear what you're saying. Maybe maybe they're interested. You know, maybe they're not completely sold on it or anything, but they're, but they're willing to hear more. They, they want to hear more. Where are you sending them? What is your, what is your first course of action for somebody who is in, intrigued, curious, an honest seeker? Um, take us down that road and then also some of your content and ways people can engage uh, with, with what you're doing as well. Well, I guess one of the things I would say is that, you know, there, there really has to be kind of an honest assessment on the, on the part of each one of us, every person, you know, every one of us kind of unknowingly, I think for the most part, unknowingly or maybe unconsciously just sort of accepts a certain set of values and principles and, you know, we sort of order our lives around those things. If you do it sort of unconsciously or subconsciously, you're probably doing it around other people's uh, value system or whatever you want to call it. What I would say, the very first thing I think every person has to do is, and this is true for Catholics also, to reassess and, uh, you know, with the goal of growing deeper in love with it. I mean, you never, you know, if you're in love, I mean, where do you say, okay, I'm in love enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never. Want in, <laughs> you want to be in love more and more and deeper and deeper every day. So it's not like you're like, okay, I've had enough, enough with the in love. I've, I've got my 100%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is all true on an intellectual level. It's true on, a, on, a, on an emotional, spiritual level. So the first thing I would do is just ask anybody who's wondering after they've heard all this, hmm. Wonder if there's something true about that. To just stop, take an assessment, and say, "Yeah, you know what? I probably need to explore this more. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought about it in these terms before, or whatever." And this is whether you're Catholic or not Catholic, or heck, you may not even believe in God. That's fine, but assess your position honestly with goodwill. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, if you're like, "Okay, this four guy, some crazy Irishman over there, and went to Notre Dame. He, he thinks they're going to win the national championship. He's nuts." <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they're not going to beat Clemson and Alabama. Uh, to which I respond, "Oh, ye of little faith." <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, um, uh, y- you know, if you if you want to come to our site, for example, churchmilitant.com. We have a section there that uh, under talks, I've given, I don't know, geez, probably <laughs> three or 400 talks, and they range all over the place. And uh, that might be a good place to just, you know, come to the site, churchmilton.com, find the thing, click on talks, just drop down, and there's hundreds of them there, maybe just one ever, you know, whatever title might, you know, kind of engage you intellectually. And you'd be like, oh, that sounds interesting. Let me listen to that. There's also a, and the reason I suggest an electronic thing is I know most people don't, most people don't read today, certainly not to the degree they should. Uh, uh, And most people don't really seem to enjoy it that much either. Mm -hmm. But for those who do like to read, 
let me recommend one book. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not, it's not a short book, but it is a very good book and it's called, uh, the life of Christ. And it's by uh, a deceased uh, man, hopefully on his way to sainthood right now, uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen. Mm-hmm. Last name is S H E E N, and it is a uh, and it's just full of all kinds of insights about the life of Christ. And then it ends the last chapter, uh, really kind of brings it all home. But you have to read the whole book before you go to the last chapter. It's not a whodunit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, what a beautiful man, Fulton Sheen. I'm so glad you gave a recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's what I recommend. Because, you know, he just presents things in a historical context uh, of, you know, how things played out in the life of Christ. He gives the historical, not just the history of it, but he gives the context in which it's happening, you know, in relationship to the times that, that our Lord was living in. And it really makes you ask questions in your mind. And, you know, in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, uh, which for those in your audience who may not be familiar with that, it's a series of uh, of fictitious letters. Uh, uh, The book is by C.S. Lewis, but the the letters are from uh, a demon, sort of a senior demon named Screwtape, Mm -hmm. who is writing to his uh, nephew apprentice, whose name is Wormwood. And it's just a series of letters of how to get a soul into hell by deception. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he says in that letter is do whatever you can do, my dear Wormwood, do whatever you can do. Because Wormwood has been assigned a human soul to get to hell and he's an apprentice. So he's, he's asking his uncle Screwtape, hey, how do I get this guy into hell? And the piece of advice that Screwtape gives Wormwood is, do anything you want, and but do not let your human subject start thinking. Thinking is intellect is what, you know, uh, God has placed into him so that he will eventually stumble across him, God. <laughs> so, uh, and that's why I think today there's so little. get him to think get him to think about his stomach right that's one of the lines in there instead yeah, get him to think about his stomach get him to think about the guy sitting in church next to him get him to think about anything except except thinking mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah that's a that's a marvelous book marvelous insight into uh, human nature and how sort of the diabolic wants to trick human nature which is exactly to go back to an earlier point what you know what he did with Eve in the garden. And, uh, you know, he told her a pack of lies, but it appealed, you know, it confused her intellect. And it's interesting when God comes to Eve and says, why did you do this? What's her answer? Her answer is the serpent tricked me. Mm -hmm. And that's it. You know, you've got to have a clear intellect. And in order to have a clear intellect, you have to have a good will. Mm -hmm. You have to, as you said, in your own case, you have to be willing. I don't care what the truth is. Just wherever it is, I want to stand in it, live in it, know it, whatever. If it's something I don't agree with right now, well, then then I'm wrong. And that's a spirit of humility, just being able to say, you know what, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And that's it. Let's move on. Well, that, that's incredibly well stated, and I will be sure to link all of those resources, including Church Milton, in the show notes. Uh, so, Michael, let's let's finish with this because um, this will air in a couple of different places, but on, on one place in particular, I'm I'm thinking it will air right on Christmas. So. Oh. 
Um, yeah. So any, for the person who's listening on Christmas, what's your, what's your final parting words to them? That little infant sitting there in the, in the manger where the cows and the sheep ate from that little infant is a killer. He came to kill sin. He came into a world to conquer the diabolical, to bust into this kingdom of sin and evil like a marauding army breaking into a dark castle and unloosening chains and opening up prison cells and getting people free. That innocent-looking little baby there who is very sweet is a killer. And that's and he's he's your killer god come to save you. I love it. That's uh, not your typical Chris, Christmas message, but how, <laughs> how how important, how important, and how necessary. Michael Voris, this is this has been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Pat. And Merry Christmas to all of your listeners. We hope you enjoyed the program, and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.